Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 14, The Catholic Church and Reformation. As mentioned previously, I have been using as my prime reference to this podcast the book, History of Estonia, printed in 1997. I have not been using this as my sole source, however, but I have certainly been using it for my timeline. I find that as I get farther into the book, using it as a timeline has the consequence that I've been relying it on as my sole source, and while that may change, as of now, we are pretty much following along the book. So today, we talk about the early Catholic Church in Estonia and some of its shortcomings and how the Reformation affected life in medieval Estonia. At the beginning of the Crusades against the people of the Baltic region, the Catholic Church as an institution had been in existence for roughly 1,000 years. For those at the top of this hierarchy, secular interest, including demands for territory, had become a tradition and wasn't frowned upon. These secular interests were often pursued through aggression and violence. Through the Crusaders, which were a religious order of knights, had been given an assignment by the Pope himself to free the people of the Baltic region from their false beliefs, to have them ask for forgiveness, and to have them proclaim their belief in the one true faith, the Roman Catholic Christian faith. The actions of the religious order of knights soon brought to light their actual nature and intentions, causing the majority of the clergy to distance themselves from the proclaimed values of their predecessors. The existence of the church as a state was based on already existing rules that were in place within the Catholic Church. The Archbishop of Riga was the highest religious authority in Old Livonia, whose holy provinces in Estonia included Tartu and Sarama Lanama. The Bishop of Tallinn was subordinate to the Archbishop of Lund in Sweden. The Bishop was the director of church life and was, and was the highest authority in matters of religious crimes and jurisdiction. Synods or parochial visits allowed the bishops to review the work of priests as they taught the work of God to the people, and to detect any shortcomings in religious life. The bishops' responsibilities included swearing in spiritual leaders of lower positions into the church, also blessing churches, chapels, altars, and church bells, as well as, in, as conducting more formal church services in cathedrals. The main church of the diocese also included a cathedral chapter, which was the name of the highest council, normally consisting of 12 canons. The chapter was headed by a priest, who was followed in level of importance by the dean. The priest was head of the economic aspects of the diocese and was a head of the chapter. The dean handled the order of religious services and discipline in general. The most influential rite handled by the cathedral chapter was the, was the election of the bishop. Although final selection of the candidate nominated by the chapter was placed under the pope's authority, who often named bishops upon his own preferences, or selected them from among people he had existing relationships with. Of the local chapters in Old Livonia, the Tartu chapter was the most consistent in utilizing its rites. But even with this knowledge, one-third of the bishops of Tartu were personally appointed by the Pope. 
the cathedral chapter served as an advisory body to the bishops. In essence, the chapter were state officials. And beyond helping with religious life, they also helped in ruling territories. When the role of the bishop was not able to be filled, for whatever reason, the chapter acted as a ruler. It was the duty of the canons to carry out formal mass services. Mass was characterized by the musical nature of the liturgy. The clothes and ceremonial objects that accompanied Mass were very luxurious, as were the church interiors and furnishings. The day-to-day interaction of the church to its congregation was normally passed on to clergymen. Since the canons worked as much with secular life as well as church life by the 15th and 16th centuries, they often spent more time on work that made their lives better and more wealthy which caused them to become increasingly removed from the original purpose of of monastic life. The canons primarily used their position as a form of income. This self-serving attitude towards their occupation often resulted in breaches of religious ethics, such as living with women, excessive drink, and other activities that the church itself would regard as immoral entertainment. It was also common that the same individual would belong to the Tartu, Talan, and Sarama Lanama chapters. There were also instances in which foreigners who had never been to Livonia were able to receive a papal appointment to a local canon position while also taking income from another diocese, in Germany or Italy, for example. These were not ordinary occurrences, however. Most of the clergy active in Estonia had ties dating back to old Livonia from the 15th century. The local population was better represented among the priests. In medieval churches or larger cities, there was an abundance of altars. For example, there were 28 altars in St. Nicholas Church and 24 altars in St. Olaf's Church. Each altar had its own clergyman. It was popular if you were in a wealthy guild or family to have an altar built so that the clergymen would be able to pray for their soul on a daily basis. The majority of the spiritual healing in rural areas was performed by the priest or the local parish. Throughout the Middle Ages, the number of parishes continued to grow by the 16th century. There were 97 parishes in Estonia. The center of the parish was, of course, the church parish. It was in outlying areas in which it was too far to travel. Chapels were often established, and religious duties that were typically performed by priests were carried out by vicars. Priests provided their income off of small plots of land they were given, along with the tithes that were collected from the peasants' class and donations from local parishioners. The Livonian order and the rural noblemen supported the church with material goods. They were permitted to pick their own clergymen, often being members of prominent local families. Or in later years, it wasn't even necessary to have the proper education needed to perform their priestly duties. Practical duties given to priests included sharing the seven sacraments, rites that are believed to be ordained by Christ, and helped to be a means of divine grace or symbol of spiritual reality 
conducted by the church, such as baptisms, confirmations, holy communions, confessions, last rites, ordaining priests, and weddings, with the parish teaching the word of Christ. It was also the duty of the priest to teach the local peasants, the Lord's Prayer and Ave Maria, the Ten Commandments, and other lessons necessary for salvation. Unsanctioned weddings and the washing off of baptisms were punishable by death. These measures to teach the peasants were of little use. In general, even the simplest and most common religious principles remained unknown to the general public. In the early 16th century, Bishop Johannes IV conducted many extensive travels to the jurisdiction of Saramat Lanama to get a full understanding of the workings of his bishopric. His visit brought to light the dysfunction and corruption of the church. For example, Bishop Johannes IV dismissed one priest in karma for taking a cow or ox for each funeral he conducted. In at least one case, even with payment, getting the dead buried was ignored. It is reported that while on a two-month visit to Riga, seven unburied corpses awaited his return. Along with the official church organizations that existed at the time, there were also many cloisters in different re- or of re- different religious orders. In the beginning, life in a cloister meant quiet service to the Lord. But before long, the Cistercian order, the oldest religious order in Estonia, was the only one that remained in isolation. The aim of this group was to do its work in quiet isolation, gardening, raising cattle, and tilling fields. They established a cloister in Karkna in the 13th century and another in Padise in the 14th century. Later, a female branch of Cistercians was formed with cloisters in Tallinn, Tartu, and Lihula. Also, orders of the Dominican and Franciscan mendicant or beggars friars, who were more active in social life, also settled in Estonia. Because of their activities, the Dominicans were called the Preaching Brothers, with cloisters located in Tallinn and Tartu, and in the 16th century they established a cloister in Narva. Because of their gray attire, the Franciscans were called the Gray Brothers, and they established cloisters in Tallinn, Tartu, and Rockvere. Both of these orders emphasized on preaching the Word of God, and they united in this endeavor. To travel extensively through Estonia, preaching the word of God to the locals required knowledge of the local language. For the Dominicans, knowledge of the local language was a requirement in their daily routine. Because of this, the Dominican friars were compared with folk teachers. They conducted sermons in both German and Estonian at their cloisters in Tallinn. Because of these efforts, the monks had strong support from the locals but such popularity was frowned upon by members of local religious authorities. In the 15th century, the Dominicans of Tallinn found themselves in a a dispute with the cathedral chapter, which claimed to have sole right to provide education. Masked priests forced their way into a cloister during a holy service. They sang a taunting song suggesting the landlord turned the church into a pigsty and horse stable instead. The monks retaliated 
with similar tactics charging into Christmas Day Mass at St. Nicholas Church. Construction of the only cloister of the Augustinian order in Estonia began in 1407. This was a mixed cloister of monks and nuns in Pirita, Dedicated to St. Birgitta of the Virgin Mary, this was modeled after the Vadstena Cloister in Sweden. The remains of this church are still visible today in Pirita, which is a very short drive on the outskirts of Tallinn, and is still beautiful to withhold, even in its ruinous state. As was happening in other places in Europe, there was an increased interest toward the remains of saints. Several cloisters and churches claim to have body parts of deceased saints. The most popular destinations for pilgrimages were the Vastelina Fortress Chapel, the St. Nicholas Church in Pernu, Mary's Chap- Chapel in Viru Nigula, and St. Birgitta's Cloister. It is told that Tartu's Tom Kirik preserved the thumb of a saint, which later turned into a priceless sapphire. These local places of worship and pilgrimage also drew pilgrims from abroad. Estonians also made pilgrimages to other holy destinations throughout Europe. The cloisters, with their vast land holdings, were called collective manor lords. They procured taxes and services from Estonians, but also provided positive contributions to the lives of Estonians in their care. Several different types of fruit trees were brought to Estonia through these cloisters. The monks taught the locals different types of handicrafts, as well as better tilling methods. Also, the first water mill in Estonia was built by a cloister. The female branches of the orders helped the sick during epidemics, also, of course, as well as in everyday life. The Reformation was started by Martin Luther, of course, in Wittenberg, Germany, in 1517. The reformers came to Tallinn from Germany by the way of Riga in 1523. Within a year, three evangelical preachers were active in Tallinn. Their work was fairly productive as the local population had reached some level of resentment towards bishops, Dominicans, and better-known Catholic priests. A man named Hermann Marceau, a disciple of Martin Luther, was the first Protestant preacher to serve in Tartu in 1523. The new ideas gained popularity in Tartu, which irritated the, the local bishop. So he was forced so he forced Marceau to leave Tartu. After leaving Tartu, Marceau moved north to Tallinn, alongside another reformer, Johann Lang, a priest at the Church of St. Nicholas. Marceau became one of the primary figures of the new faith. By 1525, the Reformation had spread to Narva, Viljandi, and Nupernu. While Protestantism was quickly accepted in these cities, the rural noblemen stepped up to defend their traditional ways. The most strident Catholic supporters were the Order Master Walter von Plettenberg and the Archbishop of Riga, Johannes Blankenfeld. While Blankenfeld participated in the humanistic movement in Europe and favored internal reform of the Catholic Church, he became a dedicated opponent of the Protestants. In addition to becoming the Archbishop of Riga, Blankenfeld was also the Bishop of Tartu and Tallinn. He had previously held many honorable positions 
in the church hierarchy of Europe. He now dedicated his life to preserving the prestige of the church in Old Livonia and the independence of the Livonian order. Plettenberg did his best to keep the peace in the rural areas, even when Riga refused to subordinate to the bishop, to the archbishop. The order master wrote a stern letter of reprimand to the town council of Tallinn. After reading it, the city broke out into large protests. This dispute was later known as iconoclasism. On September 14, 1524, a rioting mob of Germans and Estonians charged into the Church of the Dominican Cloister, the Church of the Holy Spirit, and St. Olaf's Church, destroying icons, altars, and treasures. Only the Church of St. Nicholas was left untouched, as someone had wisely locked the door. On my recent, on my recent visit to Estonia, I popped into a church of the Holy Spirit and looked around and got into a conversation with the priest about the, whole, about the history of the church, and his eyes opened wider, and I think he enjoyed talking about this period and what was taken from the church and the icons that are lost to history. In January 1525, a group of 100 residents of Tartu, led by the popular German preacher Melchior Hoffman, waged an attack against the bishop's guards on Cathedral Hill in Tartu. Two Estonians and two German residents of the city were killed in the battle. While the bishop's fortress went untouched, the cathedral church, the house of the canons, as well as the downtown churches were thoroughly pillaged. After this, the Tartu town council forced Hoffman to leave the city. Iconoclasm followed in Viljandi, Pernu, and New Pernu. Because of the violence and the, and the constant pressure, some cloisters, including the Dominican cloister in Tallinn, decided to end their activities. The largest church in the city, previously belonged to the Dominican cloister, was given to the Estonian congregation. While the teaching of Martin Luther were generally accepted, the Livonians did not associate its, teach its teaching to its author. So initially, this was not seen as a Lutheran Reformation until much later. The peasants saw the, the message of the Reformation to mean that all men were equal before God. This, of course, caused some disturbances, mostly in northern Estonia and Tartu dioceses. Fearing an uprising from the peasants, the gentry initially supported the order and the bishops in their rejection of the reforms. The church, as a ruler in northern and central Europe, lost its territories and most organizations of the Catholic Church were being shut down. The anti-reform forces in Old Livonia managed to maintain some of their positions. The Ordermaster Plettenberg was seen as a large contributor in keeping what power the church held. While the Teutonic Order ceased being a religious order at this time, the Livonian Order continued its activities independently until 1525. By the year 1530, the majority of vassals had converted to Protestantism. The political reforms enacted in the rest of Europe remained unfinished in Estonia. We will leave our timeline here for the moment, and next time we meet, we will talk about education and culture in the 14th to 16th centuries in Estonia, before we start to cover the Livonian War which of course devastated the country with death and famine as its companion. I do have a Twitter handle 
if anyone out there would like to give me a follow, the name is William S. Parsley or at Parsley Roman numeral two. I have yet to incorporate my podcast into the Twitter feed, but I think that will change. So until next time, Nagamisini.